How Peter says we have a living hope in Jesus. Now, we've been in the, the, the uh, quite a momentous week with all kinds of government decisions that have uh, from the decision about abortion um, that rescinded Roe versus Wade, uh, the removal of some gun controls by this uh, by the Supreme Court, the addition of some gun control by a bipartisan bill through Congress and then hearings on the attack of the on the Capitol of January 6 to 2021. All that's going on. There's quite a whirlwind. Hard to uh, to maintain in the midst of that, regardless of where you might be on your understanding of and your opinion on those decisions uh, to keep our hope in Jesus alone. Uh, I mean, social media has been quite a buzz this week with such healthy conversations and caring interactions and active listening and honest, compassionate sharing of personal opinions with one another. Yeah, you realized I was being facetious. I did say something true, though. It has been a buzz. Um, but then how? And yet this this passage today was chosen months ago, and it is. Related to how do we, as followers of Jesus, relate to governing authorities? Interesting timing. How do we live in the hope of Jesus at all times? Our passage today gives us some direction. It doesn't give us specific clarity. It's more a passage of wisdom. It gives us some direction. It gives us some some guidance. But it centers our hope. Once again, on Jesus and those who commit to follow him. That our, our real and ultimate hope, no matter what, no matter if we are rejoicing or lamenting, our hope is in him and him alone. Now, uh, the passage we'll look at today, it was it gives uh, uh, Peter was talking to a church that had no influence. He was talking to a group of people that uh, felt had no real protection, had no real social standing in the culture at all, and and he uh, is telling his people then and he's telling us today that our hope is not in Washington, D.C. It is not in Columbus, Ohio. It is not in City Hall. Our hope is in Jesus and gathering with those people who are committed to following and hoping in him for all of life. So today we're going to take a look at Peter's words and what it means for us to follow Jesus as we submit to our governing Authorities. Uh, passages in First Peter chapter two verses eleven through seventeen. Um, I invite you to turn there or follow along on the screen. It's on page one thousand fifteen in your pew Bibles or on the screen. Let's uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is at work in us, continuing to transform us, to, to glorify and honor you, uh, to be about what is, what is good 
and honorable in every way. So uh, teach us, continue to draw us closer to you, draw us closer to one another, make, make us a people who together are demonstrating um, your goodness to the world. Uh, continue to transform us uh, for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right, Second uh, Peter chapters 2, starting with verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, the, the guiding verse, I think, in this particular passage is verse 16. And, and Bailey, you, you can pull verse 16 uh, up again uh, just to, to see that. You know, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Isn't that just a fascinating? You're, you're free to be a slave. That's what it's saying. You're free now. So you choose to be servants of God. That is the essence of our life. That is our first and foremost and really only decision. It's our only choice. How do I serve God in every decision that is before me? That's, That's what he's saying. In Christ now, you are free. You're, you're free to, to serve God, not to, to um, cover up. Uh, don't, you, you don't want to use your freedom uh, to cover up what is evil. You want to be free to serve God. Now, uh, the, uh, and so at the very beginning, go back to the first verse, verse 11. Then, so giving that, we have that freedom now to serve God. That's always the ultimate question. We're free to serve God. So now, verse 11 says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. Now, this, this freedom, uh, this freedom that we have in, in, in Christ it is very different, as we'll see as Paul, uh, un, or as Peter unpacks this, very different than what we think of as freedom. You know, I mean, I, I think of freedom, uh, particularly uh, that, you know, that means I get to do what I want. Isn't that the definition of freedom that we have? I get to do what I want to do. That, that, maybe that's the secular definition of freedom. It's the natural definition of freedom that I, I get to do what I want to do. Right. I mean, uh, and and uh, another notion of freedom is that I don't have to care about what other people think. 
I'm not bound by other people or I'm not bound by the government because I'm free. That, that's the natural view of freedom. And Peter's going to correct every one of those. So the verse 11 here, this is what he corrects. He says, now, you're not free to do what you want. Actually, you're free to serve God, to do what you don't want to do. That's true freedom. You're, you're free to serve God and do what you don't want to do. Now, that's a common theme throughout uh, the, the scriptures. That, that these fleshly desires that we have are the natural desires within us. That, 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 that you know, to, to eat and to drink. Uh, 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 desires of, of uh, sexuality. Desires of, of sleeping and resting. Desires of, of success and comfort. Those are all, there's a lot of those desires that are really good and, and natural. But they are not our God. We don't just do what we want to do. Just because it comes in our mind or it wells in our soul doesn't mean we do it. That's why Peter says in here, no, you're to be people of self-control. Lead yourself. Do what God wants, not what you want. Now, um, Paul, back in Galatians, says something very similar. And you can go back and, and read in Galatians 5, the, the fullness of uh, Galatians 5. But particularly, I want you just to hear again in Galatians 5. Um, 18, that uh, these are the works, or 19, these are the works of the flesh. So these fleshly desires are evident in sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. Yeah, so that's the, the fruit of those natural desires within us. Yeah, quite a list that's highlighting uh, those desires within us that Paul is, or that Peter, Paul is saying here in Galatians 5 and Peter is saying here, put those aside. You're, you're not of this world. The freedom of this world says, man, if you feel it, go do it. And you have true freedom when you can do that. You know, if, if you're thinking something, you're angry, let it out. No, that's not what Peter said. That's not what the New Testament says. That's not what Jesus did. You know, we are to recognize those desires within us. And then we're to follow Jesus. It's, and the other thing that we'll notice here, in each of these things that we look at here, um, that our freedom is, that it frees us from either uh, from the challenge of living according to our desire or not our desire you know so some people are like we got to live for everything we want to do just go for it other people are like if i want to do it that must mean that it's wrong both of those are wrong there may be times that we will desire what god wants the the bottom line is what does god want what is god leading us to do we are freed now to follow him. So be free to serve God. Do what you don't want to do. Practice self-control. Lead yourself. Now, a great uh, uh, spiritual discipline to practice this summer is fasting. It's a great spiritual discipline to say there's one meal a week uh, that I'm not going to eat. And in that time, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to sit with God. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to get more work done. I'm going to be with God. 
And I find fasting is one that helps me realize those desires within me. You know, that all of a sudden I'm hungrier than I've ever been. In that one, in that hour, it hits 12 o'clock from 12 to 1 on Tuesdays. I'm going to set this aside. I'm not going to eat. And all of a sudden this hunger just comes over, ravishing. You know, I sort of hear the siren call. And then I have to sit on my hands, lock the refrigerator, you know, do do all that to, for that one hour. And, and then start to pray, and then that hunger subsides. And the next thing you know, it's later in the afternoon, and that hunger's gone. And I survived skipping a meal. I survived not doing what my fleshly desire said to go do. Now, that's just practicing a discipline. You know, eating is something we have to do and we have to eat well. So it's a good desire to have, but to practice that place where we say, I don't have to live by these desires. I can live by the desire of the spirit. That's, that's what Peter is saying within us. So he's sort of setting this first principle because the next couple of weeks, he'll be telling us what we're to submit to. And this one, and this, this list is to the government. Um, so he's saying this is one of the principles. You, you have to be free in God to be able to say to, to not do what you want to do to live this out. And it'll apply in the other ones in the next couple of weeks as well. All right. Then the, the, the second um, the second freedom is you need, now you're free to serve God to care about what others think, particularly those outside of the church. Now, catch that. You're free to care about what others think, particularly those that are outside the church. Remember, our sense of freedom is I'm free from what other people think. And that real freedom, yeah, no, that is not. Uh, Look at verse 12 and 15 uh, with me. Um, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, the Gentiles are those outside the faith, those that do not believe in God. They're pagan. And you got to keep your conduct before them honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then verse 15, he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So you see, we're, our freedom is now we want to be, do what is honorable before those outside. We want to do what is good to, before those that are outside. That is a concern of ours. It's interesting here because, you know, the, the church had no standing in that, in the first century. They were a persecuted cult in the mind of most Romans in the, that day. And yet Peter is saying positively, hey, you need to be thinking about how what you do, how what you do needs to be honorable and good in the eyes of those around you. That's true freedom. That you care about what others think, particularly those outside of the church. And again... What Peter's demonstrating here is whether or not people outside the church like what I do or don't like what I do is secondary. Now, if we have a choice, let's do what seems good and honorable to those outside the church. But again, what's the primary goal? Who are we obeying in everything? Who are we serving in everything? God. So there's plenty of times when people outside the church want us to do what God would, what would dishonor God. Well, we don't do that. 
It's not calling us to do that. But in every other way, what we do and how we do it, we do have to be concerned how outsiders view it because we want to present a positive witness to the world of the love, the compassion, the grace, the life-giving beauty of Jesus. So the people outside the church are not my enemy. They're not my competition. Neither are they yours. They're fellow human beings whom God loves and who we want God to awaken them to the beauty of following God. That's why in verse 17, he says, honor everyone. Most of the time, people like it when we treat them with respect and honor. Whether it's in person or online or in our private thoughts. Honor everyone. One. Jesus, you know, he, he spoke about this tension uh, in Matthew 5. In the, uh, Matthew 5, verse 11 and, and 12, he says, Blessed are you when people persecute you on account of me. For that's what happened to the prophets. So that, that's the one side, the one, the, the one pressure point is there's going to be times that we follow Jesus and the world will persecute us. So it was happening then. But four verses later, you know what he said? Let your light so shine that those outside you might see your good works and glorify God in heaven. That's the tension on the other side. That No, we, we want what we do to be good in the eyes of the world. Now, for us as a church, how does this, one, one way that this applies. In the, the, the specific situation of this week. Uh, particularly in the overturning of Roe versus Wade, in the removal of abortion as a right for um, a human being, an American citizen, at any time in the time of pregnancy. Um, that's something that we as a church have uh, affirmed all along, that we believe life uh, begins in the womb and we want to support and uphold life in all times, in all ways. And we affirm that. Our denomination affirms that. But how, then, do we demonstrate to the world, many of whom do not affirm that, what is good and honorable? We just keep doing what we're doing. We keep loving mothers and children and fathers and families who are in need. We we do all that we can to help uh, those uh, crisis pregnancies come to to terms in a way that is life-affirming for all. If it lends with the the child staying in the family, going to adoption or whatever, we sacrifice to care for those children. That's what we've been doing. That's what we'll continue to do. And that demonstrates to the world that we put our money where our mouth is. We put our time and energy where our mouth is. Uh, uh, Right now, we have scheduled uh, the end of August for Steve Stevenson, who's the director of Life Forward, the crisis pregnancy um, ministry in the city. He'll, he'll be preaching here the, the end of August uh, because, Steve, you know, the landscape's going to change. You know, th- this may need, we need to redouble our efforts here to do what is good and honorable, to care for children and mothers and dads and families in crisis situations. What do we need to hear from you who are on the front front lines. Regardless, we, we want to continue to show that honorable, good witness to, to the world. Now, so we're freed to serve God, to care about what others think, particularly those outside the church, and be aware of that. 
Now, the, the great thing with, in both of these is that our hope, our hope is not tied to getting what I want. Our hope is not tied to pleasing other people or displeasing other people. Our hope is tied to Jesus. We stand on his promises alone. But our freedom in Christ frees us to not have to get what I want. And it frees me to care about what others think. And then finally, we're now free to serve God and to submit to the government. That's uh, what Peter says then in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, let's let's talk about that a little more. Let's camp out on that one just a little bit more um, because we can apply those two principles about our own selfish desires um, and our own desire to not care about what other people think. We can apply that into our submission to the government. I think a lot of times we disobey the government because we want to get what we want. I mean, I'm going to speed because I want to get somewhere faster. I'm going to ignore the traffic laws because I want to get there. I'm going to skimp on my taxes because I want to keep money for myself. A lot of times, that's what our motivation is, to ignore, to rebel against the government. Even in those, what we might call, those are small, those are insignificant. I don't think Peter gives us that leeway. Um, And the same is true, I may disobey the government because I don't care about others. I may drive recklessly because I'm not really thinking about the needs and concerns and the safety of others. I may pour um, illegal liquids into the drain just because it's easier for me and I don't care really what it does to the next generation. Now what we're, what we're told here and, and what we're told also if you want to look further, Samuel preached about this uh, back in the fall. Romans 13 is a, no, it gives even more clarity about the notion of why God has government authorities in place and that they are authorities that God has put in place and we are to, un- to honor those authorities, because God has put them there for the purpose of being sure to affirm what is good and to punish what is evil. Now, I know that there's a lot of pushback on that one as well. Human institutions, we're to submit to human institutions. Uh, those human institutions don't always fulfill the purpose for which God has put them. That's true. That's a really good point. But we have to first recognize they are there by the authority of God. And our charge is first to submit to them. But again, under the Lordship of Christ. We, we obey God first. Our freedom comes because we've been We serve God in all that we do. There does come times, though, when the government authorities transgress what God desires for us to do. And we have to understand that as well. So, do we obey the government in those times also? No, we don't. 
What's our highest goal? We're free to do what? We're free to serve God. And so there may be times when the government is, has, is forcing people to do what God says we're not to do. Uh, examples in biblical, biblical literature, Daniel, Daniel 3. You know, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, you know, they were told, hey, don't pray. We're like, no, we're going to pray. Um, uh, in Acts chapter 4, you know, the, Peter and other disciples were told, don't talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And they, oh, sorry, we've got to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. So there are times when we practice what we call Christian civil disobedience. And uh, we have biblical examples of that. We also example in our history where we break what we consider to be unjust laws. And then we suffer the consequences. That's uh, probably one of the greatest examples of that is civil rights. And uh, the, the, the movement of the church to break unjust laws. A group of interracial followers of Jesus go into the Woolworths in Greensboro, North Carolina in the late 50s and early 60s where the lunch counter was segregated. You couldn't sit there if you were black. And the church said that is an unjust law. We are equal before the eyes of God Anybody should be able to sit at that chair and eat. And they would go. And black and white would sit together. And then they would endure the spitting, the name calling, being arrested. They'd spend the night in jail. They would pay the consequences. And then they would break what they say were unjust laws again. Actually, the founders of this particular church in 1853... Were, did the same thing in the Underground Railroad. They, they said the, the laws of this land are unjust. They transgress the very commands of God to treat all people as equal. We will not affirm that somebody, because of the color of their skin, can be owned by another human being. And we will do whatever is we, within, within the just laws of our land we will do what is appropriate to move them to freedom. And if we get caught, we'll pay the consequences. And so the Carey family, who are the founding families of this church, were very involved in the Underground Railroad. They housed escaped slaves in their homes and made sure that they made their way to safety into Canada. So there are times that we have to do that um, in our governments. But recognize, recognize, that they broke unjust laws, not just laws. And they, they did what they, and then when they were caught breaking the unjust laws, they paid the consequences. There's uh, other, other cases where folks, you know, like for example, murdering an abortion doctor is not an example of Christian civil disobedience. You don't break the just law of committing murder even in opposition to abortion. And then hide. If you're going to do it, at least pay the consequences. But even still, you're breaking a just law, not an unjust law. That civil disobe- Christian civil disobedience is breaking unjust laws and then willing to pay the consequence. Just like Daniel, 
just like Peter and just like uh, the civil rights, just like the Freeman Carey and uh, 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 Reverend, Reverend Bishop um, uh, who were founders of this particular church. So Christian freedom, freedom we have in God, frees us so that we don't have to get what we want. We do care about what others think. And we submit to the governing authorities, all under our service to God. And again, this this is great news. This frees us to serve God. And it... It frees us because in this last one, this last, we're subject to the governing authorities. Our, our living hope is not tied to any government or nation. Our, our living hope is not tied to any government or na- earthly government or nation. And I, I believe that's one that we in the Christian church today in the United States of America in 2022, we need to take that one and really resonate with that. Because I believe many of our arguments and divisions in the church are caused by placing their faith in God and nation. You gotta, God shares his position with nobody. Our living hope is in God and God alone. Our salvation is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And in times where God shares our, we, we share our allegiance with God and anything else, that is idolatry. And this is the good news, friends. Our hope is not determined by if we get what we want or not. It's not determined whether or not people like us or don't like us. And it is not determined by anything that our governments ever will do. Our hope is secured in Jesus, Jesus alone. We are freed to serve God and obey him at all times. Be in tune this week. Maybe as you're driving. Just be in tune. Yeah, you can pick one. You can fast or you can say, I'm not going to speed at all. I've been doing it the last two weeks. Man, it's rough. It's rough. Never knew the speed limit changed so often. Certain streets. Yeah, but be in tune with that and get in touch with, guys, how is this revealing to me? My basic selfish desires to do what I want. How is it revealing to me that my lack of care for the other drivers around me? It also reveals to me their lack of care for me. That's another sermon. Let this be one where where God shows you the freedom that we have in Him. And Him alone. Let's pray. Uh, 